for the evening. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Like we're going on a, a yachting trip or something. Yeah, it should be nice. Father, thanks for uh, just the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. We thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. He's here. We thank you that He teaches us and that He reveals things to us. Uh, we thank you that He leads us, He guides us into all truth. We ask you, God, tonight that we would be open to receive your truth, open to receive what you want to say, uh, open to receive, God, how you want to lead us tonight. I pray, God, for if something needs to change in our heart or mind, that we'd be ready for change. We'd be ready, God, for something different. We'd be ready, God, to to be challenged uh, in our thinking or challenged in the way that we're seeing something. So, Father, tonight I just pray for your truth to come forth, we call forth truth, life. Uh, we ask God that you be glorified through this time. We give you honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's open up to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40. If you need a Bible, you can find one on a table, usually, or a nearby table. Perhaps near where you're seated. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S P E A K P I P E.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Isaiah chapter 40, and you volunteer to read verses 1, 2, and 3. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. All right, thanks for reading that. 
Anybody recognize any portion of that verse? Where do you recognize it from? Okay. Well, well, where do you recognize that? John the Baptist, right? Okay, good. And uh, and so the rest of that verse has to do with something to do with perhaps if you put on your thinking cap may have perhaps something to do with John the Baptist and uh, part of what he was ushering in and the message that he had. So. I want you to consider that just for a second. I'm going to start by just talking about life in general. And the idea of life is not necessarily, well, it's not. It's not supposed to be easy. And, and I don't know where that concept comes from. We like that concept. We like to think of life as being easy, but that's not really what life is. Uh, life is, isn't easy. And, it, it, and it's gotten easier over time in some ways and more difficult in other ways. Uh, for example, we don't spend most of our time just surviving right now. Uh, generations that came before us, they spent a lot of their time and a lot of their effort surviving. I mean, you think about you know, how many trips down to the river would you have to take to get enough water for the week or for the day? Or if you had to go out and, and had to kill and eat, how long would it take you to hunt something down to kill it? Who's going to clean it? Who's going to cook it up? I mean, you know, you really think about it. It's like those are kind of basic necessities of life. Where do your clothes come from? Imagine if you had to weave all of your clothes by hand or, or, use a, or make thread to start with using a spinning wheel. What if you had to go out and shear the sheep in order to get enough material to spin thread? All right, so you start looking at life like that, and we have a lot of conveniences now. I mean, to go down to the supermarket... No big deal, right? You buy something, and it's still too hard for us, right? To go buy something and cook it, that's too hard. So you can go down to the supermarket, and you can actually buy food that's already made. Right? Just bring that home. Like those chickens, right? You buy a chicken. It's a whole chicken, you know, and you buy the chicken, you bring it home, and you can eat it. Oh, well, that's still too hard. Okay, if you don't want to do that, they pre-prepare meals for you at the supermarket so that you can just go and you can pick out something that looks good to you and you can buy the meal, take it home, and warm it up and eat it. That's still too much trouble. All right, so then you can just go and drive to a restaurant, stop at a window, or stop at a machine, that something will squawk at you and ask you what you want, you just tell the machine what you want, drive around, and somebody's going to hand you a bag full of what you asked for, and you just pay for it and go home. All right? Easy. Easy compared to going out and catching some fish, cleaning them, gutting them, and cooking them up for dinner. All right? Easy. So in some ways, life has gotten easier. But then there's other ways that it's a little more complicated. Uh, and those ways are more of what I would consider to be uh, a mental and, and kind of a social way that, got, that, that we've gotten more complicated over time. Uh, there's some, some simplicity about living off the land. There's some simplicity about going out and your whole day consists of doing what needs to be done so you can eat and go to bed at night. There's something really simple about that. There's something more complicated about trying to negotiate through the complexities of modern life. There's something more complicated about 
trying to understand how to deal with people on certain levels when the generations that came before us never really dealt with people on those levels. Social media has a, has a level of complexity to how we deal with one another. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, like Mike Tyson said it best. What do you say? He's like, part of the problem with social media is people forgot that when you say certain things to certain people, you get punched in the face. All right? They just forgot. And and we live in a, a world where it, it, you, there's no consequences. You say anything you want, pretty much. And and it's rude. And it's hard. And and so there's there's certain realities to it. So I'm not I'm not trying to compare apples and oranges. All I'm trying to say is is that as certain things got easier, certain things got harder. Certain things got more simple, other things got more complicated. And it's just how it is, but life is such. And for us to expect that things are going to be easy in life is an unrealistic expectation that was put there by somebody, I don't know who, but it was an unrealistic expectation that was passed down to some of us and some of us it wasn't. But if we were one of those people that that was passed down to, that, oh, this is the way life is going to be easy and this is how it's supposed to be and all that, and we have this expectation that's never going to be fulfilled, then it leads us to all kinds of weird places in our life where we make up a reality, sure, where we uh, live in disillusionment and frustration all the time, yeah, where we're disappointed, nothing ever works out, yeah, that's what happens. Because it, it really, if we have an unrealistic view, it's just never going to happen. And so I don't mean to be a like Debbie Downer on, on you or anything. All I'm trying to say is that a realistic view of life is that life is often trouble. And, and that's just the truth. But the struggle doesn't always last. It's not always trouble. It just is sometimes. But to have some expectation that it's never going to be and it's going to be easy is super unrealistic. So what you see here is the prophet and there's this weird prophetic break that takes place in these verses. If you go back into the previous chapter and you look at what he's talking about and he comes into this chapter and basically he's speaking to a people that are people of exile. In other words, they had been conquered by a country, had been hauled off and they were living in exile. And, and you can say exile, but it pretty much means they're slaves. They got hauled off into slavery. And it was because it was their own decisions. It was their own things that they had done. It was the, the idolatry that they had decided that they wanted to participate in. And they had been warned and been warned and been warned and they just didn't care. And so they made their decisions. Now they were reaping the consequences of their decisions. And you have like the, the prophet just warning them, telling them this is what's going to happen. This is the consequence of this, this, and this. What make it so they could understand what was taking place in their life? There's no confusion. There was no. Oh, I wonder why this is happening to me. Oh, woe is me! I can't believe this thing is happening to me. Well, it was, and it was a result of their own decisions. As a result of their own disobedience, as a result of them not listening to God, trying to straighten them out. Them not listening to anybody, trying to straighten them out, trying to get them on the right path again. They just said, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to do whatever we want to do. Okay, this is the consequence. So they were just being told, this is the consequence. This is why this has happened. 
And then there's a break that takes place here in Isaiah chapter 40. And this break, and you got to understand this in terms of the God, and I want you to think about this for a second. You need to understand this in terms of a God who a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years. That's the way God's described in the Bible. Time doesn't mean much to Him. It means a ton to us because we got 70 or 80 years. So that means it's not just our life right now. All right, but to him, he's eternal. All right, what's a year to God? What's a thousand years to God? Same thing. Doesn't matter if you're an eternal being. I mean, one or a thousand. Who cares? You kind of get that idea of that as you're getting older. You're like we we experience some of that as human beings. You remember back when you're a little kid, a year seems like a really long time. As you get older, that year becomes such a smaller fraction of your overall life. Years just kind of pass by. They go faster and faster as you get older because they're less a fraction of what your life is. I mean, when you're 10, a year is 10% of your life. When you're 50, a year ain't that much anymore. It's just not. And so, it, it, in, in comparison to what you've experienced, in comparison to how long you've been alive, and, and it's a phenomenon, it really is, it just the years don't seem as long. Now, I know there's 365 days, I know that there, there's 12 months and all the rest, but our perception of them changes. Same thing, and you think about that now, now put that on steroids, alright, 50 years, but make it a million years. So whatever you ought to make it, what's a year? Out of a million years, it's a blink of an eye or less. And so to God, a year, a thousand years, it's all kind of the same. He didn't have the same perception of time we do. He doesn't need the same perception of time we do. And so prophetically, when you hear God speaking in the Bible, it's important for you to understand because you'll see things like this happen in the Bible. Something changes. For us, we just turned the page. But something really changed between chapter 39 and chapter 40. Something happens here where there's a perspective shift that takes place here. The prophet is able to prophesy that shift. I mean, he's plugged into God. He's plugged into the heart of God. He's plugged into the mind of God. He's plugged into the Word of God. God's speaking through him, and he's able to make that shift with him. And he begins to prophesy something that's projected into the future. And it wasn't just a word for the next 70 years or 35 years. This was a word that was hundreds of years into the future that he gives here. And it may have applied, and, and the people that heard him prophesy this may have said, oh, that's for me. You know, we're in captivity right now, but we're going to get out and, and God's going to be awesome. But there's more to this than that. There's a lot more to this than that. And this break and this, this sudden shift took place and projects it right out into the future to John the Baptist. Projects it right out into the future to Jesus. Projects it right out into the future to the Gospel. Because what you see being described here, this is the Gospel. This really is the Gospel. This is the good news that you read about in the New Testament. And, and the reason it's important for us to understand that and to understand Isaiah 40 is that what it does is it lays a groundwork for us to more fully understand 
what the gospel is. Because it's a, it's a good word. It's a powerful word. It's a prophetic word that, that's being projected hundreds of years into the future so that we could have a better understanding of what the gospel actually means. Now, we use that word, the gospel, and it, it can mean whatever it means to you. I don't know what it means to you. I'm going to tell you what it means to God and what it could mean to you. The gospel, the good news, is more than just Jesus, although He's the central and most important part of that good news. But it's more than Him. It's more than the message that we have recorded in the four Gospels, in the four books of the first four books of the New Testament. It's more. John himself said in his Gospel, in that fourth book of the New Testament, he said, if everything that Jesus said and did was written down, it'd fill all the libraries of the earth. So all that tells you is that we have a fraction of what Jesus said and did. A fraction. And I know in the Happy Jesus show... You know, Matthew is there and he's, he's writing stuff down or whoever it is is writing stuff down. And that's good. You know, and that's probably what happened. Something happened like that. Somebody kept some notes. Good. That's awesome. But, you know, there's so much more. There's so many conversations that take place. There's so many things that are revealed. There's so many things, questions that are answered. Miracles that took place that they weren't even there for. That, that Jesus was healing people and, and doing all these things that they didn't even see. So we don't even have any record of it. You know, and you read about it in the Bible. It's like, and Jesus healed many more of them. And Jesus healed every person that came to Him with a disease that day. Well, how many was that? A hundred? So we got a hundred healings that we don't know anything about except for He did it. Yay! But who were those people? And what was healed? Because, you know, people say, well, I never saw in the Bible Jesus healed anything like that. How do you know? Maybe it was one of those, uh, and He healed everybody who came to Him that day. And it was included in that number. Who knows? You can't limit God based on what you read in the first four books of the New Testament. Because it doesn't contain everything. It's not every part of every revelation and every understanding and every act and every teaching and in every every question answered that Jesus answered, and in every teaching that He gave, and every word that He gave, and every healing that He ever did, every miracle that was ever performed, it doesn't include a full list of all those things. And so I find that exciting in this sense, that there's plenty to pour over the New Testament, know it, read it, understand it, live it. Great but it provides opportunity for God to continue to reveal to us who He is. That's exciting to me. It's exciting to me that He is so dynamic in our lives by the Holy Spirit that there's so much more of Him that we can know. That's exciting to me. And He's offering that, and He continues to offer that. Here's one example and maybe you hadn't thought about the gospel this way. I don't know. Or maybe this is something old and you're like, of course, Andy, why are you even going over this? Well, if that's you, cool. I'm glad. You got the inside track and I'm glad you do. 
Let this be a review session for you. But perhaps this will be something you haven't heard before, you never really thought about before. Maybe it's, maybe it's something that is, is in the head somewhere, but it hasn't made its way into the Spirit. Or maybe it's something you want to believe, but you just don't have the basis to, to really sink your teeth into it and to sink your faith into it, to believe it. Well, I'm going to give you a little piece of revelation from Isaiah. Because this is the Gospel. A little piece of revelation that Isaiah brought forth that was being projected, being spoken prophetically hundreds of years in the future. Nothing to God. A thousand years a day. A day is a thousand years. And He's speaking that to us now. That this is the good news. This is the Gospel. So, let's listen up. Let's receive it. Let's more fully understand it. Let, let's live it. Let's live it. So in these verses in Isaiah 40, he starts off by saying, comfort, comfort. Now, I've said this in the past. I want you to think about this. Kind of think about some of the teachings that you've heard recently. Why is that word repeated? What does that do? It emphasizes, it emphasizes what? Uh, the, the importance of it, the meaning of it. Yeah, intensity. Right. right. It's, it's, it's emphasizing the intensity of the word. That's why you see words repeated in the Bible, that's just their language. It's the, the way they use their language. So instead of uh, comfort a lot, it's comfort, comfort. All right. And so he, so you see this word going forth, and then you see that, that the prophet speaking this word, comfort, comfort. And who are they supposed to comfort? Who is that? Who's the object of the comfort? Yeah. Keep going. Just look and see what he says there. He says, Comfort, comfort my people. Now, these are people that probably felt like they'd been abandoned. These are people that had been completely and utterly told and convinced by this point that their decisions had separated them from God. Had separated them from His will and His purpose for their lives. Had separated them from His protection. Had separated them from from his oversight had separated them from his future that they had that he had for them. Right? They understood that. They were hauled off. Some were left. It's, it's funny because when Babylon took uh, the the people captive, he took they took the slaves captive, they left the losers in Jerusalem. Alright, so you got two kinds of people. You got the losers that were left in Jerusalem and you've got the really smart people and the powerful people and the people of influence that were taken to Babylon. So if you were left, what was your attitude? I'm a loser. If you were taken, oh great, now I'm a slave in a foreign country. So what's good? There's no good. All right? The decisions that they had made had led to the position they were in, no matter what that position was. They were in the position they were in because of their own decisions. But you notice God calls them, God says that they are His people. In other words, speak, comfort, comfort, my people. God's own. God's own people. He identifies with them. That's important because that's the gospel. You see, uh, decisions that we made, 
choices that we made, whatever you want to say it, and you sense a separation. But that separation is on our part. In other words, that even if we can't see it, we're God's people. Now you, look, you think about the Gospel. You think about John 3.16. Familiar verse, right? For God so loved the whole world. Well, the whole world doesn't look at God and say, oh, He loves me. The whole world doesn't consider that God even cares about them or even takes notice. A lot of the world doesn't even recognize God, doesn't even see God, doesn't serve Him, doesn't care what He thinks, doesn't care you know, if He's even thinking about them. Has no, they just have no indication to go even go toward God. But He still loves them. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son, that whoever believes in Him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, the offer's there. God loves the whole world so much, He presents an offer that anybody can take. And so when He looks at these people, and this is the Gospel, comfort, comfort. In other words, extreme emphasis, intense comfort. Comfort, comfort. What are we going to major on? Comfort. Not judgment. What are we going to major on? Comfort. Not making people feel uncomfortable. What are we going to major on? Comfort. Not making sure they know they're sinners. And I want, I want you to just pause for a second. The reason I said that, because some of you are old school enough to know what I'm saying here, is that it used to be, if you were going to present the gospel, that you're going to have to let people know what wretches they were before you could possibly present the gospel. You better let them know that they're wretches and that they're terrible and that they're horrible. I remember one day, I had one guy, one of the best things he ever said to me, he looked at me and says, Andy, don't you think people already know they're messed up? Why are you got to tell them? Good point. Good point, and I took it home. I took it home. And I read something like Isaiah 40, and I see the gospel being presented this way. The first word isn't judgment, judgment. The first word isn't, hey, you're a loser. The first word is comfort, comfort. And if it's in your head that you gotta, you got to make them pay or they can say yay to the gospel, get it out. Because those people that you're running into out there, they, they already know they're messed up mostly. Even if they won't admit it. You know, I, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, and I don't want to be mean to anybody, but people are full of crap. Have you noticed that? I mean, I've noticed it. You know, you, you, people somehow tell you something. My first impulse when somebody tells me something is skepticism. And I'm just being nice about it. You know, tell me something. Oh, that's great. And I want to celebrate with you, but there's still a part of me that thinks you're probably full of crap. And so I'll just wait to really jump into celebrating that thing until I, you know, maybe get some independent verification on it. But... It's just the, the world we live in. I'm not, I'm not, and again, I'm not picking on anybody. It's just where we live in. And, and if people were as happy as they, make, they want to make you think they are, we wouldn't be having all the problems we have. We wouldn't be facing all the difficulties we're facing as a society. People wouldn't be having all the physical problems that they have. Right? We, we wouldn't be facing the things that we're facing. 
If people were half as happy as they want you to believe that they are. Because they're not. And so our job isn't to go out there and convince them that they're horrible people. You don't need to go around convincing yourself you're a horrible person. You don't. Comfort, comfort is the Word. That's the Word. That's the prophetic Word. That's the projected prophetic Word into today. Comfort, comfort my people. Who's His people? For God so loved the world. Yeah, but Andy, they don't care about Him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not your, it's not your job to protect God's honor. Alright? You don't need to protect His honor. He knows where He's at. He knows the people. He knows what they're about. He knows how they feel about Him. And He still died for them. He still loved them enough to send His Son. So you got at least the Father and Jesus on the same page, the Holy Spirit on the same page, saying, we don't care. They're mean to God. They don't care. He does not care. He doesn't care that they don't care. He doesn't care they don't pay Him enough attention. He doesn't care they're not giving Him the respect that's due His name. He does not care. He loves them enough He died for them. It's not your job to protect His honor. Or try to protect His feelings. He knows what He's doing. Our job is to render comfort. Our job is to speak comfort in the people's lives. Our job is to minister comfort in the people. Who is he talking to? He says to speak tenderly. Who? Prophets, ministers, teachers, priests. That's who he was speaking to. And that word comfort literally, literally like if you just look at what does the word mean? If it wasn't in this sentence, if it was just sitting on a page and you're going to define it in the original language, what does it mean? It means to draw breath with vigor. So our job is to help people catch their breath to comfort them. That's our job. It's the job of every prophet, every minister, every teacher to help people catch their breath. Because they're tired, they're weak, they're out of breath, and they're ready to keel over. And that's the fact. Even if they look like they're a million bucks. And you've heard me say this before, and, and I want to keep reminding you of this, is that otherwise, why would movie stars be killing themselves? Seriously. If things were that great, then why would that be happening? Why would all of these successful people be depressed? Why would all of these people that that are in the in the media's eye and, and that they're the, the apple of the media's eye, why would they be paying out millions of dollars for counseling? Why would they be going to the Betty Ford Clinic for substance abuse? Why? Why? If being a rock star was so great, then why couldn't Scott Whelan stay off the heroin? Okay? 
If you don't know who he is, don't worry about it. What I'm trying to get at is that it's not what, what we want to project. And so we have to look at things not in what's being projected out there, what is being put out there for us to consume with our eyes and our ears and, and whatever it is we're trying to consume it with. We've got to look at things in truth and reality. How do we know what truth and reality is? Listen to the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit saying? Comfort, comfort. Help them catch their breath. Because the reality is they're tired, they're dog-tired, and they're ready to give up. Who? The world. The world. All them folks that God loves. All them folks that Jesus died for while they were still sinners, including us. That's who. And so, our job literally is to help people to help people catch their breath. And if you can see that, if you can see that, then it's going to make you a person, I believe, is going to be a lot more effective for the cause of Christ. Because if you can begin to see the Gospel in those terms, is that in its basic form, we're out there and we're going to help people catch their breath one way or another. So what does that look like? I don't know. You tell me. What does it look like? What does it look like to help somebody catch their breath? I mean, if you really thought about that, you know. You know. Maybe they need a hand with something. Maybe maybe they, they need a word of encouragement. Maybe they need somebody to, to speak into a situation in their life. Maybe they just need somebody to listen to them. Maybe they need to be healed. Maybe they need some kind of service in their life. Some kind of hope. I don't know. I don't know what's going to help somebody catch their breath, but I know the Holy Spirit does. I know God does. And if you begin to get that in your mind, that in your heart, as this is the Gospel, you're going to be a lot more effective at what the Gospel is supposed to be about in the lives of the people that we come in contact with. You're going to be better at it. We're going to be better at it. And so God calls us to literally help somebody catch their breath. In other words, it, it might be that helping somebody catch their breath, you might have to take their burden, help relieve their burden. Well, Jesus is really good at that. Let me look at uh, Matthew 11.30. Matthew 11.30. And you can go Go up a couple of verses. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. All right, now, does, can you hear that in the teaching of Jesus that the gospel is helping people to catch their breath? Can you hear it? I mean, I'm not trying to... I, I just want you to, to see it maybe through a different lens. You've heard that verse before. You know that verse. I'm not I'm pulling out a new verse. I just, I just want you to take hold of it. That Isaiah prophesied, projected this thing, hundreds of years in the future, Jesus speaks it, Come unto me, all you that are weary, heavy laden, that you're overburdened, you're carrying too much. Doesn't that sound like somebody... They need to catch their breath? Yeah. 
And Jesus is like, come unto me, if that's you, and I'll help you catch your breath. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'll give you rest for your souls. So I'll help you catch your breath. Now, you know that. You have that word in you. You, you know that word. You've heard that word. That is a real word that God has brought about in your life. I bet you. I bet He has. And if He's brought it about in your life, He can bring it about in somebody else's life. What if your job in helping somebody catch their breath is to simply share that Jesus wants to be there for them to help them with their burden? Because His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Come unto Jesus and He'll give you some rest in your spirit and in your soul. He can offer that kind of hope. How do you know? He did it for me. He could do that for you. You see, that's our job is to take that and announce it. That's our job is to take that and to publicly cry out that there's hope. To, to really speak to the heart and not just the intellect. You know, somewhere along the line, the gospel got to be about you know, apologetics, about convincing people uh, about something. Yeah, that's not what the gospel was about. It just became that somehow. But that's not really what it's been about. I, you know, I, I, I heard that and I tried to do that for a lot of years. And I had to fundamentally reject that. So I was going to be effective for the kingdom. Fundamentally. And I love to argue. But it's just not effective. It's not effective in helping somebody catch their breath to win the argument. It's just not. They really don't need to be somehow brought through some mental gymnastics so that they can come to some conclusion in their mind. They need to catch their breath. Right? If I, you know, I get done with a race and, I, and I'm kind of walking around catching my breath, I don't need somebody following me around telling me how lungs work. I don't. I don't need anybody telling me how my upper respiratory system works, my lower respiratory system works. Don't need it. Don't care. Don't care. They can convince me all they want. Well, what needs to happen here is there needs to be a slowing down of your respiratory. Blah, blah, blah. What do I care? Yeah. Why don't you hand me a water? Why don't you walk with me? Let me lean on you a little bit. Yeah. That will help me catch my breath. Because that's what needs ministry. It's not my brain. It's my body. It's it's where I'm at. And so, whatever that point of need is, it's our job. We, we announce that. We cry to that. We speak to the heart. We need to speak into people's lives brighter, happier. Days are upon us. Not because something out there changed. It's because something in here changes. Things out there, they're going to be whatever they are. I'll come to that conclusion. Because the days I think are really good turn to crap, and the days that I think are crap turn to good. What do I know? And, and you can think you got it figured out, but you don't. You think, oh, well, these are, these are going to be awesome times for the Gospel, and then they're terrible. Or these are going to be terrible times for the Gospel, then they're awesome. We don't know. We don't know. 
And so for us to, to base our mood or to base our ministry or to base what we're doing on what's happening out here is to miss the point of it really matters what's going on in here, in us, inside of us. The word that's given here is that the hard labor is done. I like that. I like that. Because part of the curse... You hear this? Hear this, please. Part of the curse, Adam and Eve. Booted out of the garden. Part of the curse was that they were going to have to live and work by the sweat of their brow. That the ground was going to be hard and there was going to be weeds and it was going to be hard to grow anything and that they would have to work by the sweat of their brow to make it happen. Part of the word of the gospel is a restoration of what God intended for us. And in, in many, many ways, those curses, I believe, are broken. Now this is going to sound weird. But you know me, and you know June. And I'm a firm believer that part of the gospel message is for curses to be broken over us. One of the curses that was given, some of you have heard me talk about this before, but one of the curses that was given, the curse that was given to Eve, is that her pain would be multiplied in childbearing. And when it was time for June to give birth, we proclaimed over her that that curse was broken in the name of Jesus. And it was. You can ask her. I, I can't really speak to it personally. All I'm telling is you can ask her. And so I believe that part of the breaking of the curses over us is being proclaimed here in Isaiah. Is that the hard labor is done. Another word in that it speaks to is servitude, captivity, misery are finished. In the New Testament sense, Jesus said, uh, and, and you read about it when He's speaking to Zacchaeus, the little man that climbed the tree to see Him. Well, at the end of what He was saying to Zacchaeus, He said this, He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And my interpretation of that, and always has been my interpretation of that, is you can't get rid of the word that to begin with, even though popular songs do. You can't. Because there was something tangible that was lost in the fall. And Jesus, part of the gospel, and part of what He came to do, was to seek and to save that which was lost. I believe a restoration of what God intended. And so as part of that restoration for what God intended is this phrase that you see here in Isaiah. The hard labor is done. When this revelation became clear to me, there was something that broke in my heart about working by the sweat of my brow. And that doesn't mean I don't go out and work hard, you know, whatever. I'm not trying to say that. 
but I am not gonna I'm not gonna live my life. In other words, I'm not gonna sell my existence to working by the sweat of my brow. That's gonna end with me. In my line, generation, whatever you wanna say it is, that was gonna end with me. I watched my grandfather work by the sweat of his brow his whole life. And that's gonna end with me. And it has so far. Again, doesn't mean I'll go out and work. I'm willing to work. Doesn't mean I, I'm not willing to put in time and effort. I'm willing to put in time and effort. Those of you who know me know that's true. But I will not live curse-wise by the sweat of my brow. That ended with me. And so you can begin to look at this at the curses that were put over Adam and Eve, but then there were other things that were placed on humankind over time that I believe were also broken as part of the gospel. It's up to you to live it. I'm just giving you the word here. I'm just giving you this is part of the gospel. I'm just giving you that I believe, I believe, deep down inside, this is part of the gospel and part of that message to us as God's people. That we can be set free. And set at liberty from these curses that were placed over us. It's God's intent, I believe. And so I give that to you. Now what does that mean for you? I don't know. I can't answer that. I can't answer what you're going to take a hold of. I can't. I can't answer what you're going you're gonna to have revelation toward. I can't answer what you're going to look at and say, and have faith and look at and say, this is broken in Jesus' name. I just pray you find it. I pray you find those things over your life. You begin to look at your life objectively and say, how am I living under a curse? Well, another thing you can do is ask somebody else, right? <laughs> do you see anything in me? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you honestly ask and you don't get mad about it if they answer you, ask somebody, they'll tell you. There might be something in your life that you can really look at and say, all right, well, the, the gospel's taking care of this. Jesus take care of this. Why am I living like this anymore? And, and break that in the name of Jesus. Get free. Maybe. It's available. Burdens. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catch a breath. It's part of the gospel. It's, a, it's part of the basic part. It's, it's really just it's part and parcel basic to the gospel. Catch a breath. God sends us out to help people catch their breath. You catch your breath too. God sends us out to set people free from the curse. You get free from the curse too. And so we, we proclaim this. The hard labor is done. The servitude, the captivity, the misery is finished. And then he says this. He says sin is paid for or paid off. It's like we have a, you have a mortgage. You owe, you owe, you owe. You owe, you owe, you owe. And then you don't owe anymore. Why? Because it's paid off. Yeah. When I was a kid, there used to be this show on television called All in the Family. Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. Archie Bunker. I remember one episode where they had a mortgage burning because he finally paid off the mortgage. 
And so they burned the mortgage, you know, and they threw it into a, a trash bin, and that was it. And I remember as a kid watching that thinking, I want to do that one day. I want to pay off the mortgage and burn it. Because there's something, and I could sense it just watching the show, you know, whatever. But I, I could sense it watching the show, but then, you know, that feeling of when something's paid off, man, that's a great feeling. Especially when you owe somebody something. You know, we, we've kind of put ourselves in a position where uh, we have perpetual debt in our society, and maybe we don't feel the same way. But I'm, I come from a generation that if I owe somebody something, I can hardly sleep at night. That I, I mean, I have a really hard time with it. I remember, you know, June and I, we, we borrowed money from her parents so we could buy furniture for our house when we lived in Fredonia. And because we, were, we had uh, outdoor furniture inside, you know, like folding chairs and stuff in the living room. And so they're like, you guys should really get something, you know, to, to put in your living room. We'll give you some, we'll loan you some money so you can go get it. I'm like, all right, so June really wanted some furniture. I didn't care. I didn't care about the folding furniture. But she did, which I understand. And so we borrowed the money, went and got the furniture, and it was in the house. I had a hard time with that. And I put away money every month, every month, every month, until we paid them off in full. And it was such a good feeling to get out of that. And, and, and you may not understand what I'm talking about because we don't live in a society like that really anymore, but it, it's just so weird that, that, you know, living under debt, to me, is hard. And so he was speaking to uh, people here, and understand debt for them was bad. In other words, if you were under debt to somebody and you couldn't pay, they came and took one of your kids and put them into servitude, put them into slavery in order to pay your debt. Or they might come and take your wife. Or they might come and take you. You see, yeah, our, our rules for debt are a lot easier than theirs were. And so they would be under debt, and I want you to put yourself in their position. They'd be under debt, but the, the, the threat on them is if something happened and they couldn't pay that, that their, their kid or their wife is going to be taken away and going to be sold off to pay that debt to another family, to somebody else. Can you imagine carrying that kind of a burden? But that's what they lived under. And so when that debt was paid off, I want you to just think about what a release that would be. Like, <sighs> I'm out from under that threat. And so that's the picture of this, is that the sin is paid for. In other words... We're under this debt. We're under this burden. We're under this thing. They're going to come and they're going to, you know, we can't pay it. It's way too much. We can never pay this. They're going to come and they're going to take us. You know, whatever is going to happen, it's going to happen. And, and what the gospel says is it's paid off. It's paid off. That's what the gospel says. But that's significant. And don't just hear that. Don't just hear that as, oh, yeah, I know that's what the gospel says. No. It's significant to you to live, to live in such a way that your debt is paid off. That's significant. That the debt of sin in your life has been paid off and you need to live that way. You don't live in shame. You don't, you don't live hiding. You need to live that your debt has been paid off and it's done. That's significant. 
need a couple verses here. I need someone to look at Romans, Romans 6.23 and Ephesians 1.7. Okay, let's somebody read uh, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Alright, so here it is in a nutshell what Isaiah says, speaking again, 400 years into the future, hundreds of years into the future, the wages of sin, how much does it cost? Death. 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 That's what the wage of sin is. So that's what it costs. And so what Isaiah was saying, and what you see being written in the book of Romans, the Gospel says is that that sin is paid for. You need to live that way. What a relief. What was that going to cost you? Death. What do you get? It's paid off. It's paid off. How is it paid off? Well, Romans tells us how it's paid off. Through Jesus. By Jesus. In Jesus. But it's the same word that was given hundreds of years before through Isaiah the prophet. Okay, Ephesians 1 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Alright. So, in that verse, and I, there's a lot of big fancy words in there, but in that verse is to understand this is that sin is paid off. Period. And it tells you how it's paid off. And it tells you, and it gives you a little descriptor of how you might want to describe that. It's the riches of God's grace. But it's paid off. So, we had this super rich, billionaire benefactor pay off our debt. That's it. Done. So, live like it. Live like it. There's nothing more frustrating to me than watch, peop- watch people that won't live in freedom. It makes me crazy. It makes me crazy watching people that won't live in the freedom that God gives, the freedom that we have, the freedom that is right in front of us. It makes me nuts to watch that. It's like you're still living like you're a slave. Stop it. Stop it. Just stop it. You need to live in the freedom that God has purchased for you. So don't live in shame. Stop. Stop hiding. Stop living in fear. Stop living all worried about what everybody thinks. Stop living like that. A better life has been purchased for you. Seize it. Seize it. I'm going to leave you with one last thing here. And that's the word that's given that you recognize right off the bat. And that was John the Baptist. Okay, that part of this verse at the end there. That call, that prophetic call that you see going out. Where is it? It's in the wilderness, in the desert. That's where that prophetic call is going out. What's the desert? Nothing. Sand, heat, death, no water. Yeah, strange animals. Big, big insects, 
It's a nasty place. Certain things live in the desert. Yeah. And, and that's where the call goes forth. And what is the call in this inhospitable place? Prepare. Prepare. That was the prophetic word was to prepare. And that's what the prophetic word does is it prepares. It's exactly what it does. How does it prepare? It makes ready for life. That's what it does. And it says, make the road straight. And, and this is the last idea I want you to get. It's God's intent through the prophetic word to make an easy road for people. He's trying to make it easy. Why do you want to make it hard? He wants it easy. He wants it easy for you to catch your breath. He wants it easy for you to be free of, of all the guilt and the sin. He wants it. He wants it easy. That's why the prophetic word went forth. That's why he sent a prophetic word forth hundreds of years before John the Baptist was ever born. Why? Because he wants it easy. He sent John the Baptist with a prophetic word into the wilderness, out of the wilderness, to Jerusalem. Why? Because he wants it easy. He gave Jesus that prophetic word speaking forward. Why? Because He wants it easy. The apostles had a prophetic word bringing it forth. Why? Because He wants it easy. Don't make it hard. Don't make it hard. Kind of interesting to me, they, they had a thing in the early church where they didn't know what to do with Gentile believers. You probably know this story in the book of Acts. And they, they didn't know what to do because some of the, the Jewish believers thought, well, they got to become Jewish before they can become Christians or all these other things. And, and they were like, no, you don't want to make it hard. You want to make it easy. And so they did. It's like, and and, and the, the principle is this, is like, and, and this is in a different book, but I want you to think of this, why lay a burden on people that you yourselves can't even keep? Why? It's stupidity. And so the prophetic word goes forth to prepare and make it easy. So I want you to hear what's being said here in Isaiah 40 as a way to make it easy for you to better understand what the gospel is so that you can actually receive and live it. Because that's why. That's why Isaiah prophesied this, to make it easier for you to actually receive it and live it. And so I can only encourage you toward that. I can only encourage you toward receiving this gospel. So it'll make you better at proclaiming it. Alright, let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would bring revelation into hearts tonight. Just a simple, simple revelation. And I pray that prophetic word from Isaiah would just really penetrate through lies and deceit and just the, the things that get, get piled up on us over the years. I pray, Father, that we would begin to see a truth in what the gospel really is about. Because God, I thank you that you've called us to help people catch their breath. And you want us to catch our breath. 
And it's in Jesus that we find the lightening of the load. We find the yoke being easy, the burden light. It's in Jesus that we find ourselves being set free from the curses of the past and being brought into a freedom and liberty of the now. I thank you that it's in Jesus that we find forgiveness and cleansing, that our debt's been paid for, that we're free. So I pray, God, that we would live as a free people, really just free, full of life. I ask you, God, that you set us free from the bad expectations. You set us free from the bad ways of seeing things. You set us free from the bad ways of thinking. You set us free. I give you thanks tonight. Give you thanks for all the love. And it's all the love coming our way. We receive of you. Thanks for all the love, God. That's these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah.